we're starting a new series today. It's called God's Stories. It's stories about God's amazing grace and mercy, his miraculous power, and his unmistakable intervention in the lives of the staff, the church. And we, for the next few weeks, want to bring you encouraging words and stories about God's grace in your life. You ready for that? Everybody in this room who calls himself a Christian has a God story. It might have happened at your conversion. It might have happened when you're on the doorstep of disaster. It might have been when a habit took complete control of your life and you couldn't recover from that. It might have been when a relationship that you were so promised, throw thought was so going to be the time of your life went south. But then God showed up and made things new again. That's your God story. We all have them. Also, I want you to know when we think about a God story or testimony, we read in Revelation, the 12th chapter, which we're going to talk about today, that it's a weapon against the, the devil when the spiritual battles of life come your way. You have an offensive weapon. It's called your testimony. And also your God story. What better story to be able to tell the world the orbit in which God has put you in, your friends, your family, your workmates? What better place to be able to tell them of the power of a God that's real and his promises are true? And that's the power of your God story. But I was thinking about last week, and I was so moved, and it was so awesome to get to know all of Aneno from Uganda. She came here. Remember what you look like? Put that picture up for me, would you? That was all, of course. How many people were here last week? Were you blessed by that testimony? Amazing. Grew up in northern Uganda, a place that was... She said that she, there was no abuse that she did not experience, see, or feel in her lifetime living there. Of course, she grew up at five years old, and she thought the story at five, and she was literally had to live, she lived in that village, and she had to run into that bush, remember that? Every night with a blanket over her head so that the rebels would not kidnap her and make her a child soldier. Wasn't that amazing? How, how many five-year-olds in this room would spend nine months in the bush with a blanket over their head to make sure they weren't caught? And it was an amazing story because one night a snake wrapped around her twice. Remember that? And she recited the 23rd Psalm. How many know that the word says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, that the sword of the spirit, which is the word, is an offensive weapon against the enemy. And the minute you, and you preach the word, recite the word to the enemy, the enemy is repelled by that. And that's how she escaped from that python. And by the grace, grace of God, she was picked as a compassion child. And by the way, if you're still praying about being a compassionate parent, this is available to you as you leave today. You could be a part of somebody's God story by allowing them to have the financial resources just to get through life. That $38 in, in Olive's life from her compassion parents allowed her to feed herself and her two children after her mom died of AIDS. And then they shared Christ with her. And she had a powerful move of God in her life. And God revealed himself so significantly and so powerfully that her life never, changed, never was the same. And then she started playing volleyball in the high school and was recruited to go to South Carolina State where she became a phenomenal basketball player. She got, let, me, let me tell you this. She's a, now a social worker. If you didn't pick that up, she's a social worker. She spent five years working for CPS in Atlanta, Georgia. Can you imagine someone better to be an advocate for a child than the shoes that she walked in all her life? Is that not a God story? Amazing. I want to know something about Olive, which is amazing. So if you've got to put your head around this, 
She was a northern Uganda just trying, to, just trying to get through the next day. To going to South Carolina State and getting her bachelor's in three and a half years as a student athlete. Now, some of you are, probably don't follow sports, but if you do and you know college sports, that's nearly impossible. Then she goes to the University of Georgia where they just don't give away master's degrees just because you showed up, and she did it in a year and a half. In five years, she had her master's. And she'll tell you today, if she was standing here, it was all God's grace. Another thing that I wouldn't, I was, it struck me when I was speaking at the seven was that, you know, some people come into this, we, we allow people to speak here, some very famous people, and they're awesome, and we're so honored to have them on our stage, but they didn't come cheap. It does cost to get them here. We pay the whole deal. You know how much it costs us to bring all of in? Besides nothing? Nothing. Compassion brought her, and it was out of her grace and her conviction and the life she led to say, I want to tell everybody that if they are part of this, they can change a person's life because she's now letting her God story, her testimony, change the world. Are you hearing me? Let me show you another picture of my wife and my, myself, and that was us a little while ago. <laughs> Darn right that was. That was a day or two ago. Seeing how Elizabeth is now 30 years old. 31. 31 years old. I know, you see that picture, and uh, you, see my, you see my wife and myself and my daughter. That's what you see. Let me tell you what I see. This, this picture hangs in my hallway. I never, ever don't think this when I see it. I'm looking, I want you to know I'm looking at a miracle. Every single time I look at that picture, I see the fingerprints of God on a family. And there's no disfaking that. There's no getting around that. You couldn't convince me if you put a gun to my head and say, renounce that, I would say, shoot the bullet, man. I've got no choice but tell you, I have experienced God. I met Deb when we were in 1975. How many folks in this room were not born in 1975? <laughs> Holy Toledo, I'm old. In 1975, I, uh, when I went to high school and uh, we went to college, all that gang, that, that guys, we all hung out together the whole way through. We were inseparable. We had one friend, though, that was extremely shy, really shy. Hated talking to girls, just freaked out the whole notion of it. So a friend of a friend set... Chris up with Deb. And we all went out on a date that night. And I realized really quickly that A, she was beautiful, and B, she laughed at my jokes. <laughs> if you get somebody laughing at your jokes, you like keep telling them, right? Just see if you can get another, hey, yeah. So that went, that went awesome. The next day I called Chris, Chris, uh, hey, you gonna take that girl out again? Because I'll tell you what, I'll exchange you my date's phone number for her date's phone number. All good, right? She goes, he goes, yeah. And that started a relationship that we've had. We've been married now for 37 years. We've known each other since 1975. All God. But I want you to know, about eight months into our relationship, we made, you know, my son's here today. I'm not even sure he knows all these stories. Kind of kept them deep down inside of us, you know what I mean? Some dark waters you never kind of plow through. And my awesome son, his wife, Bree. Um, we made a big mistake about eight months into our relationship. We moved in together. And we both knew it wasn't right. I grew up in a very devout Catholic home. I mean, 
So like devout, you're thinking, what does that mean? Like I was well into my teenagers still saying the rosary in, in my home. You know, my wife became a Catholic just to get married to me when we did get married. That was the way it was. It was that way. I, I knew of God. I didn't know God. You know what I'm saying? I went through 12 years of Catholic school. So I grew up in a very devout Catholic home. So if my parents ever thought that I was living with somebody, I would have been, I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been happening. So we always hid that. We actually lived in the same town. They didn't ever do anything about it. But we knew it was wrong. If I could just digress for the young people in this room, God has a plan for relationships. He has a plan. He, he developed that plan. He's the creator. And his desire is that Deb and I would have known each other, got to be best friends, just enjoyed each other's company. But the minute you live together, all of a sudden, then you start having a physical relationship and your relationship shoots right up to this level. And this is where jealousy and unmet expectations and all that gets in the game. And you know what's missing right here? Best friend. And I can honestly say, for a long time, my wife, were not, we, were, we, we loved each other, we, we liked each other, we liked being around each other, but we were not best friends. And I can tell you that because we could go for it really fast. Let's go. You know, no gloves, let's just go for fists. Let's go right now. Not physically, but the way we talk to one another. Are you with me? Anybody been married in a long time in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. Why mess around? Let's go right for the throat. We can do that right now. But that's the way we were. We were. But we decided it would be better to live with each other. We could do better with each other than without each other. So through the course of break up, get back, we got married. And we came to Hawaii on our honeymoon. And eight, by the grace of God, eight months later, we were back in the islands running a job on that marine base. I got hired to manage a job there. And I came to Hawaii. But I realized very quickly, I sucked at marriage. Very quickly. I wasn't a very good boyfriend living together, so it didn't translate into marriage just because I got married one day in front of a, a priest. I lived my way anytime I wanted. I did what I want on my time. You know, I live kind of like the my way or the highway deal. There might be a couple guys in here who can understand that. Not good in a relationship. The other thing I did, I loved baseball. I don't know, I was always a big baseball player when I was younger, played all my life. Watch baseball, love sports. Problem? Guess what my wife didn't like? Anything to do with sports. Didn't like it. And we started growing farther and farther apart until somebody else came into her life. I was devastated. I have never felt so much pain in my whole life. I had to go back and revisit this when Pastor Carl asked me to do this this week. I had to go back to those places. And it's an emotion that I never want to feel again. I, re, I run from that. Some of you looking at me right now know exactly the pain and the panic and the hurt I am describing. You know that pain. I was crushed. We, uh, my daughter, we kind of got it together because we needed to get together, kind of reunited the relationship for a while, and we had a baby, Elizabeth, the pride of our life. Every day I came home was like Christmas. It was just spectacular. This was in October. She was born in October. But we, the relationship was not repaired by any means. Having that baby was awesome, but not the relationship. 
That was, she was born in October. And in December, we went, brought her, our new baby home to my parents in the mainland, all our family and friends shore off. And we smiled the whole time. We couldn't stand one another. Just being the very presence of one another. You know, we couldn't even look at each other. We drove in the car to a different friend's house. We'd say zero. We walk in the house. Hey, how's it going? Haven't seen you in a while. All fake. Just absolute disdain. Came home in January. As soon as we came home, a couple weeks later, a friend of ours. By the way, at this point, I am only thinking about divorce. It's all my mind. I'm going to get divorced. I'm going to get this woman, and she's thinking, I'm going to get this dude out of my life. We were only thinking that. And this friend of ours who was on, I put together a baseball team so we could play baseball over here in Hawaii. He asked, hey, I want to go to this concert, Christian concert. So we went. And it was in the Ala Moana Ballroom, the Ala Moana Hotel, a place where it was packed. This was back before there was a lot of screens around. So the dude talking, Greg Laurie, looked like, like that big on the stage in front. But when that dude talked, he was talking to me. He was talking to about a guy that was broken, that was in pain, that was in despair, that had no hope. He was talking to me. In fact, I just distinctly remember looking over the seat to my friend Pat who brought me, and I go, you son of a, how did you tell this guy about me? Why did you tell this guy about me? Anybody ever have listened to a preacher talk and he felt like he was just talking to you? Yeah. Yep, that's what I felt like that night. This guy knows me. And then he started talking about Jesus. Though I knew of Jesus, I never knew you could have a relationship with Jesus. And he started talking about how he would bring hope and peace and he would heal me. And all he kept talking, all I wanted was what he was talking about. And at the end, having grown up in the Catholic Church, I knew nothing of altar calls. That was a, I never even heard of an altar call. All of a sudden he says, if you want what I was talking about, come to the front right now. I bolted out of my chair. I mean, I jumped out of my chair. I raced the front. Other people were coming out of the seats to go up front too, and I was just kind of, come on, shoot, excuse me, I gotta get the front. I'm, I'm not joking. I was racing up there because whatever he wanted, I wanted. I was standing in the front, right, Greg Laurie is right there. I'm standing in the front, and I am bawling like a baby at 30 years old. And by the way, in my house, we never cried. Crying was out of the game. I, I never saw my dad cry. It wasn't a part of me. Now I could cry like that because of God's spirit in me. I have compassion for people. But I didn't cry. I am sitting there in that stage crying my eyes out. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I had an encounter with God that was so profound when my wife came up and she grabbed my hand. All she did was grab my hand. I didn't actually totally know who was there, but I could feel this is my wife. And at that instant, that very instant, I tangibly, physically felt the presence of God in my life. And I knew right then my marriage was going to be saved and I could spend the rest of my life with my daughter right that second. In fact, I remember looking right at her and her looking at me for the first time in a very long time with absolute love in our eyes for one another. That is a miracle. And you cannot, un you cannot explain that away. It wasn't by coincidence or happenstance. God showed up in my life. You know, another thing that, so that's the big thing, right? God shows up with the big things. But God didn't stop right there. He did the big thing. He healed our, he healed, we came to Christ. 
But we didn't have our, I didn't instantly become a greatest husband on the planet because I came to Christ. Because it wasn't in me to be a good husband. I needed to be discipled. And God, in his grace and mercy in my life, brought this couple into my life immediately. The people, you know, when you go through an altar call, you have to go into a room and they give you some information and all that. Well, the couple we were talking to, all of a sudden, for some, God said, oh, you're in my life. So a Sunday night, a few days after the thing I went to, a Sunday night, I'll never forget, I'm eating dinner, we're, we're preparing dinner. How many hate people knocking on your door at dinner time? Am I the only one? Hello. All of a sudden, knocking on the door. What the? Who's bugging me? And I open the door, and this guy and his wife are standing in front of me. We're here to talk about the Bible and your marriage. You're what? Who sent you? God did. We're here. You see, that was still God's work in my life because I did not have the ability to do it on my own. And God knew he needed to bring someone in my life because there was no way I was asking for help. Anybody like that in this room? I'm sure you're looking at me. God knew I needed somebody. See, we don't even realize part of our God story and God's intervention in our life is when he brings these people into our life, we don't even recognize it. We just think it's by happenstance. Oh, that's just coincidence. No, that was a God-appointed move of God in your life. And that's what this couple were. And they discipled us every week and taught me how to be a husband and taught me how to love God. And so what the, des- the devil wanted to cause for disaster, this is what the end result 30 years later. Show a picture of my family, please. That's my family right there. Yeah. Of course, you see the far right corner, that's Trevor and my, wife, uh, my daughter, Sarah, and their child, Levi, and my son and his wife, Bree, in the middle there with their daughter, Emma, and Mike, and that's my daughter who was... A little picture, a little girl in that picture. Now she's 30 years old. And show a picture of my grandkids. This is our life now. This is the way it works in our house. My beautiful wife, Deb. My grandkids. That picture would never be on that screen right now if God did not move miraculously and unmistakably in my life. And he's done that in yours. Turn your Bibles to Revelation the 12th chapter, if you have one, turn on. I want to key on one verse today. I'm going to talk, I'm going to read a little bit more, but we have one verse on the screen. But remember that in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5a, it says this, stay alert, watch out, for the great enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You have to understand, church, if you're a follower of Jesus, every day you're in a battle. And if you don't recognize this, you're going to miss it, and you're going to blame other things. You have to understand the enemy wants to destroy you. In Revelation, the 12th chapter, it talks about a great battle between Jesus and Satan. And, Satan, and Jesus won and threw the devil out of the kingdom. He's talking about a spiritual battle that still rages today among us believers. There's nothing the devil wants more than to destroy us. The word says in John 10, 10, he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. If those words just went by you, and you did not hear me, he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. If you got in a fight with your spouse this week and you wonder, how, where did that come from? He's here to kill, steal, and destroy. If you got in a fight with your boss or you thought poorly of your children, I want you to know the enemy's here to kill, steal, and destroy. Are you hearing me? Because yeah. yes. what it says in Revelation, the 12th chapter, I'm going to start 
a little earlier in verse 10. It says this, this is the apostle John in a, in a revelation that he got that he is sharing with us. And it says this, then at last a loud voice shouted across the heavens. It is at last the salvation and power of the kingdom of God and the authority of the Christ. It says this, the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been thrown to earth. By the way, anybody ever feel that accuser in your life? I'm not good enough. I couldn't measure up. You ever feel that? The accuser is always talking to you. If you're thinking, by the way, if you're ever thinking negative of something, you start going down a trail that you can't get back of, and you keep thinking negative of a person or a situation or your boss or anything like that, guess who keeps throwing gas on that fire? The devil. He wants to make sure that conversation. 70, if you're not careful, 75% of your self-talk, we all talk to ourselves, right? It's okay to talk to yourself as long as you don't go, huh? <laughs> the rest of you will get that when you drive down the driveway. 75% of our self-talk is negative. Guess where that's coming from? The spiritual battle raging around you. He wants nothing more to take you down. But it says this, God knows that the enemy's here and he says, but I've given you weapons. I've given you weapons to defend the enemy from ever having an effect on you. And it says this, and they defeated him by the blood of the lamb, by what Jesus did on the cross for us. By him dying and spreading his blood for us, and us believing that he died and was raised from the dead, that gives us the ultimate tool to defend the enemy. Are you hearing me? Jesus chose you. You didn't choose him. He died for you when we were, didn't deserve it in any way, but he did it because he loved us. But then he says this, not only do we feed him by the blood of the lamb, but, we, but by their testimony. And it goes on to say this, they did not love their own lives so much that they were afraid to die. Let me tell you something. Your God story, because you know what the enemy's super good at? Everybody in this room, some more than ever, more than others, but we all feel this one thing. Is there really a God? Does he really exist? Is this all real? Anybody with me on that? That's God's that's the enemy's tool. And what the word is saying, that our tool to use against that is our God story. The time when God and you intersected in such a profound way, it was unmistakably God. You can't forget that. Because the enemy wants to throw a discouragement away. Anybody feels discouraged on a regular basis, that's his greatest tool, discouragement. And God's saying, use the time you and I or we experienced one another. God's saying that. We can't see God physically, but I promise you, I experienced God so profoundly, he might, have been sta- might as well have been standing right next to me. And most of you in this room have too. We forget that. Because the longer we get away from that event in our life, it becomes co- coincidence. Oh, maybe I'll just luck or happenstance. God said, no, don't be thinking that. Your testimony is so powerful. It can change the world, and it can defend the enemy's attack against you. Are you hearing me, church? And then, of course, our experiences. 
I went through that craziness, and by God's grace, I fell in love with the Lord, and he fell in love with me, and he has allowed me, of course, to be here. I mean, I wake up every day going, whoa, I get to go to, I get to go this job. And that, you know, that is an absolute special blessing in my life. But along the way, I've been able to talk to many couples who have gone through the same thing that I have, and I can look at them in the face and go, I know God can heal this, even though you have no clue. Check out this testimony. My name is Zach, and this is my wife, Brittany, and we get the chance to share our story on how God has saved our marriage. Um, we've been together almost three years, been married almost two, and uh, we met a month before I left for boot camp. For a long time, we had great communication. We, had, we were inseparable. We talked to each other every day, hours on end, all the time, had something uh, new to talk about. After about two months after we got married, Things uh, took a change for the worse, and uh, the distance caught up to us. We didn't, we weren't able to establish a trust between us that you get to when you spend time with somebody. And eventually, because of the lack of trust and the temptation of being away for so long, um, eventually our marriage kind of fell into a very bad downward spiral. We started fighting just constantly over the phone. For a long time, we just kept, you know, getting into the spiral of fighting and disagreeing and me not trusting him. And um, I just kept getting these feelings that, you know, he was doing things that he shouldn't be doing. Pretty much everything you could think of that you would want to do to destroy something or someone, we went through, or I did. And we got to the point where the only saving grace that we would have that we hadn't tried was to start going to church and seek God because we had gone through five counselors, personal counselors, two chaplains and one pastor to try and help get advice and fix our marriage and nothing, nothing worked. Um, and last year before I went on deployment I had my mind set after already making three divorce attempts and she never gave up on me. I decided that when I came back from being undead that it was over. I was tired of being unhappy. I was tired of being the guy that originally was her everything to the only person that was destroying her life. I didn't want to do that anymore. We decided to talk to one of the pastors and um, he recommended that we read a book called Love and Respect. So when he was leaving, when Zach was leaving to go on his first detachment, I was like, okay, we need to read this book while you're gone, something to keep us connected to God and to each other. We started reading it, and almost immediately through getting the first, through the first couple chapters of the book, our relationship started changing. After about a month of being on deployment, our marriage changed 180 degrees. I went from not wanting to talk to her and not wanting to see her to constantly wanting to tell her how my day was and when I would set up a next time for us to Skype so that we could talk again. We figured out how to speak to each other and how to respectfully treat one another and understand where the other person's coming from and our relationship went from almost being over to this incredible feeling of love and respect for one another that we hadn't had in a very, very long time. Our pastor from there actually connected us to Hope Chapel whenever we were being sent to Hawaii. 
He said, just go check out the church. It's an awesome church, awesome pastor. So we came here the first Sunday that we were actually on island. We had been here four days and we went to church and they were advertising the open house, which was that Tuesday. So we were like, all right, well, let's go to open house. So we went to open house and we met uh, Tim who invited us to his mini church and got plugged right into mini church the next week. It was awesome. We made some friends pretty quickly and got deeper into our uh, relationship with God and our knowledge of the Bible and just being real Christians, not just you know going through the motions, but finding out what it really means to be Christians. Our relationship has been better than it's been in a very long time. And if, without the help of God and this church and our church back in Whidbey, I don't think we would be where we are now. We're both on the same page making incredible progress and we both have a common goal to see this marriage work. The best thing about it is that we do it with God right beside us and I can't be more thankful for that. When I met with Zach, Tim said, hey, you got to meet with this couple. They're in dire need. And, I, I'm, and they were sitting here Friday night, so I'm not talking. I'm telling the truth. I literally looked at Zach. I said, Zach, if I had a baseball bat and I could get away with it, I would use it right now. He hurt his wife that much. And I felt his wife pain, right? But I want you to know, God showed up. There's that, the book I usually give couples to read to make them force. There's a book that Deb and I read was Love and Respect because it's God's design for marriage. But when, we, when they realized that the gift, the greatest gift God gave them, not only their, but his son, but was each other, that, that just opened a whole new world to them. And they found a, a great marriage. I watched them take communion two weeks ago in this room. I was back there with my wife at the prayer area, and I watched them take communion, and I knew without a question that God had done something miraculous in their life, the tenderness they had for one another. They barely could be in the room with me. I mean, they, this is where they sat, over here, and over there. That's not good when you walk into a room and you sit that far apart for that long a period of time. Isn't that amazing? I just want to finish this one scripture that you know that's there, so you just know it's there. It's in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. It says this. Uh, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. I'm so sorry. 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for your hope and your future. God said, Always be ready, because your hope is in God. And the reason God's such a hope in your life is because of your God's story. Be ready to give that. Be able to turn your world upside down for that. I feel really compelled to pray right now, so let's pray together. I'm really feeling that, Lord, if there's people in this room that their God's story is unfolding today, their God's story is right now. They're in the heat of disaster. They're in a, they're in a place where you have to show up, Lord. They're in desperate need of you. They're hopeless, and they're helpless, and they can only have you. If that's you in this room, I want to pray for you right now. I really believe that we really need to pray because God wants to have an intersection with you right this minute, miraculously, undefinably, undefinably, and also have your he'll put his fingerprints on your life like never before. I want to pray for you right now, but if that's you, I want you, not because I want to know, but I want you to like reach up to God, 
hands to God right now. If that's you, I want you just to simply, everybody's eyes are closed. I just want you to simply raise your hand right now like you're touching God's hand right now. And I'm going to pray for you right now. Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. Well done, gang. Don't be afraid. God wants to do something miraculous in your life right this second. Lord, in Jesus' name, and by the blood you shed on the cross for us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word says that from your glorious unlimited resources, you'll give us a mighty inner strength to your Holy Spirit, Lord. For these people who are bold enough to raise their hand right now in this room and who are crying out to you to do something miraculous in their life, Lord, I pray that you would touch them right now. Touch them, Lord, whatever their circumstances are, that you would bring clarity and peace like never before. If it's a healing in a relationship, Lord, I pray that you would touch that, Lord. If it's a health issue, I pray you would heal them in Jesus' name. If it's anything, whatever that is, I don't even want to guess, Lord, but you know it. You know it, Lord. I pray that your hand would reach down from heaven and touch theirs right now, that they would tangibly feel your presence in their life like never before. And I pray that in Jesus' name that your healing grace would fall in this room right now. And if anybody else in this room doesn't haven't even come to know the saving grace, you can put your hands down. If haven't haven't come to know the saving grace of God, it says this in Romans, the 10th chapter, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. There's a transaction that needs to happen. There's a point that you need to say, yes, Lord, come into my heart. And we're a church and we want to do that right now. And in a minute, I'm going to have you raise your hand and tell me that, that you're going to, to do that this morning. I want you to prepare your heart right now. If God is tugging on your heart to say, yes, I, whatever he's, whoever this Jesus is he's talking about, I want to know him. I want to experience him because I promise he's going to come in and he's going to change the way you think. He's going to forgive your sins. And he's going to bring clarity to life. He's going to wrap his arms around you like never before and embrace you with his love. And if that's you, I want, I'm going to count to three. I want you to boldly and proudly raise your hand. Say, yes, I want Jesus. One, two, three. Raise your hand right now if that's what you want. Raise your hand. Yes, I see you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. If I don't see you, God sees you. Pray with me right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Lord, come into my life powerfully move in my life Lord I believe you are God I believe that your promises are true Lord reveal yourself to these people today Lord open up a new vista to them Lord I pray that the person that drove up the driveway this morning under this campus and the person that drives back down this morning Lord would be so new so changed so dramatically different because of your grace and mercy in our life Lord and we pray that you would move in their lives Lord in mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just raised your hand with me, I want to tell you that you've just done something amazing.